Welcome to Earth Matters, environmental justice stories from Australia and around the world. Produced on Wurundjeri Country at 3CR's studios in Fitzroy, Victoria, and broadcast to stolen lands right across this continent on the Community Radio Network. I'm Tisha Nahern. On today's show, it's a story that involves stolen country, stolen generations, and the threat of a stolen future. Just one site has been shortlisted for a national nuclear waste dump. Walla Bedina, at the foot of the Flinders Ranges in South Australia. The proposed site is on the lands of the Adniamatna people, and they don't want any nuclear waste on their country. Vivian and Regina McKenzie are Adniamatna women who live at Yapala Station, an Indigenous protected area that is adjacent to the proposed dump site. They travelled to Melbourne recently to voice their opposition to the planned dump and to rally public support. We hear from them speaking to a packed-up forum at the Northcote Town Hall in Melbourne. Hi, my name is Regina McKenzie. Um, first of all, I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners, um, respect to your past elders and your present elders, and for the future, um, as to be. You know, it's a, it's a big thing coming so far away from home, and as you can see, that's... In English, it's Ukna, but in our language, that's Ungapurana. She's... Um, um, she was called, that place up there was called a wasteland, but as you can see by that picture, it's far from being a, being a uh, wasteland. It's, um, it's very important to myself and to my family and to my people. Um, it's, it, it's really hard to talk about what happened and stuff like we was, we, we was one of the six sites and we went to Canberra, we've still got no questions about that. The consultation of these things was, it didn't even exist. There was no, they didn't talk to anybody in the area. Um, the person who, who nominated um, Walla Medina, which is on the Bandu site, was actually, we were working with two department, uh, state departments in that area with the nominee, person who nominated. Um, we was actually working in that area to protect the archaeology in that area. It's one of the highest density in South Australia, and as you can see in the corner here, back there, all those rocks, just look like rocks, they're artefacts. That's how thick it is. And that's all over the area. It's, it's an ancient trade route, and it's also a, a place that's a registered site of a storyline. The storyline actually goes for 70 kilometres. It's the first ever registered storyline in Australia. And I think something that was so um, so significant to us is um, actually under threat. Um, it's, it's not the only storyline. There's a whole lot of them that goes across and we still practice our culture um, up there at home. Like we still hunt and gather and we still practice the old ways. The amount of flooding that goes into this area is is very, very high. It's um, Ukna, 
1956, there was a, a flood there that took, there was actually, all along there was a, there was a little settlement there. And in 1956, the old settlement thought, uh, we got flooded, they got 10 inches in one day, didn't they, Vivian? And it took everything. And I mean, the whole area was wiped out. The amount of gum trees that you see all piled up, out, way out, like five kilometres out from away from the creek, is where it was thrown. And, um, and uh, um, then in 2007, same thing happened. Um, that place, if you can have a look on the other side, there now there's a, where the car's parked, there's an embankment. This is, up, this is about a couple of months after that big flood. That was laid down in, in one night. Something that usually that, they, that a, an archaeologist or anybody would tell you, or a geologist takes um, 3,000 years to do, that was done in one night. And um, it's, it's, it's a very, a very um, it's dry a lot of time, but when we do have rain, we have rain. And that's the danger of it. It's, it's not a good place to put a um, waste dump. Um, and like I just say to everybody, I say to the government, I say no to the waste dump. Not only to this waste dump, but to also the high level one. Um, South Australia's got a double whammy. We've got a uh, thing, but to both. I believe Australia should not be the dumping ground of the world. Hi, my name's Vivian McKenzie, and usually my little sister will take a lot longer than that. Um, <laughs> because I think I can see it starting to get her down. And um, coming here back to Victoria, and I'd like to thank you for your welcome. And um, this waste dump that they're looking to put into at Wallabadina is the dreaming story of the, we all know the little Willy Wagtail, don't we? Yeah. And that's the Willy Wagtail. And um, the children, the grandchildren, myself as a, and Regina and us, that was all passed down to us, from, like from our parents and from our grandparents. And um, like I said today, I was talking to a couple of my friends. Coming back to Victoria is like a, a, um, a healing program for me because as I crossed the border yesterday, I thought about when I was brought over here to go to school taken from my parents. And, um, but to come back here today, come back to Victoria, the very place where I spent my time and uh, time here and did my education here, coming back to see the minister to ask not to put a waste up on our country. Um, they took my rights away as a child, and they're looking to take my land from my family and from my people. The Adnamat, the people, which is our Yatta, and Yatta means the land. And um, we've got the children there, our grandchildren there. They know the stories about that place. They uh, live on that land, they go there, they swim in that, uh, in uh, Hawkness Springs. We hunt off that land, we gather off that land, and we love that land. The land is our mother. And like the sister said here, we belong to Mother Earth. And um, I stand here today and I sit here today, and I'll, I will never ever give up. Because one thing you do is you never, ever give up. 
never give up. Adnia Matna, traditional owners Regina and Vivian McKenzie, explaining why the proposed dump site is both culturally and environmentally unsuitable. As Regina mentioned, the process of nomination has lacked consultation with the traditional owners. Vivian explains. One of the things with the consultation that's supposed to have been happening around, around in South Australia, um, they brought it back that they're, uh, they're in phase two now, and it was only last week that um, they met with the um, Adnumut Nutrition Lands Association directors. And I represent Billy Warren on that. And um, all they did was they came back and said that that was in phase two. And they hadn't completed phase one because they hadn't met with the, with the um, ATLA directors. And um, it's not until the 17th of next month that they will be meeting with the Billy Warren Euros Association. Um, so there's been no consultation with, with the Aboriginal people in that area. And... Um, it's sad to say, but the close-knit community of Walker, where um, a lot of the people uh, went to school, Aboriginal, non-Aboriginal people that went to school and lived in that area back from probably when colonisation came into this country, that now that community is split over what is happening. And um, it's not only a problem for Aboriginal people, it's, it's a problem for non-Aboriginal people in the whole of Australia. And um, so we've got to stand here together as one, because it's, we can say like um, Regina said about everyone saying no, the government's trying to say it's on, and we say it's not on. So, you know, we've got to stand and look at, look at the future for our generations to come. And you know, this is mental and emotional and uh, abuse on the minds of adults, on on children, it's intergenerational abuse on Aboriginal people. We've gone through this. Regina and, and myself, our mother was taken away when she was in 1926. And we're now living, we are now living that we had to look at the times that we spent with our mother when our mother went through that. She had to meet her family after 40 years and didn't see them. And she, we still haven't met half of our family because our mother was a lurid woman from the desert. And um, to, to see it happening now with, with our land being taken once again, it's our second round for our mother to be taken from us. And um, our children, there's children that knew their grandmother, my, me and Regina's mother. They knew their wunda, which means was their big grandmother. That's in the lurid language. Um, and Ajani is in the Ajamatna language. And um, they look at, they looked at it and they're, not, they're saying it. Our wounder was taken away. Why should our, la well, should our uh, another wounder be taken away, which is the land again? You're listening to Earth Matters, Community Radio's national environmental justice program. And we're hearing about the campaign against the proposed nuclear waste dump in South Australia. The government and the nuclear industry face stiff opposition to the proposed dump, but they have one very emotive argument on their side, nuclear medicine. Margie Beavis is a doctor and the president of the Medical Association for the Prevention of War. She spoke at the forum debunking the claims made about nuclear medicine. I've got to be upfront as a GP. I think nuclear medicine's kind of heavy. Um, I don't use it very often. 
In fact, I, yeah, not very often at all. I use it for people where I'm worried about they've got bone cancer or secondaries in their bones, the nuclear bone scans. And cardiologists, the two commonest things are bone scans for cancer and very specialised heart scans. So that it's useful, but it's small. There was a thing in the Adelaide Advertiser saying that unless we had a dump, they were going to run out of space by 2017 and they wouldn't be able to make any nuclear medicines. Well, this is wrong on so many levels and ANSTO did very little to counter that story. Similarly, in the information that went out to communities, they said any time you've broken a bone or you've had a heart scan or you've had cancer, you've used nuclear medicine. Well, that's bollocks. You have... If you break a bone, it's extremely rare that we need to use nuclear medicine. You have a heart scan, the vast majority of those are done by ultrasound, no radiation at all. And in fact, GPs are getting education now from our college saying, you know, be careful of radiation, try and minimise in your patients, make sure you only use it when it's absolutely necessary because it's quite clear that we, any additional radiation causes additional harm. And there's lots of people going around saying that evidence is not clear. Well, the evidence is very clear. It's been around since the 70s, really, when they worked out that an X-ray for a pregnant lady could cause leukaemia in the child later on. And so what's really disappointing, one of the findings of the South Australian Royal Commission, is that they said the medical evidence was not clear. Well, again, I say bollocks. The medical evidence is really clear, and it's really... In fact, we, we, there's some very expert people in our organisation on radioactive effects of nuclear um, of radiation on people. And we put in a really detailed submission on all the health impacts. And to have the South Australian Royal Commission come back and say the evidence is not clear, well, just means they didn't want to hear it because the evidence is extremely clear. Um, OK, so if you're going to have informed consent, firstly, they got it wrong in terms of the medical information. Then they're saying now that one in two Australians will use nuclear medicine in their lifetime. Well, again, I'm really, really dubious about that. Um, certainly, they're producing a lot of isotopes, but there are some poor souls who have a lot of bone scans because they have cancer and they get checked every year. It just really, there is no research that says one in two Australians have nuclear medicine in their lifetime, and they keep repeating it. Interestingly, in their data to start off with, they just said it was a third, but they clearly didn't think a third sounded good enough, so they've upped it to a half. So go figure out. It'll probably be three quarters by the time we finish the process. Um, Okay, so medical waste is a reason for a dump. Okay, there's two ways you get medical waste. One is producing the isotopes, and the second is using the isotopes. Now, using the isotopes, so you go to the radiology place, you get your bone scan. The material that's used for that breaks down really quite quickly. So after a few months, it can go to a normal rubbish dump. And the same for the heart scans. There is a very, uh, very occasionally treating cancer for, I mean, most cancers, I should say, are treated by either surgery or chemotherapy or radiotherapy, and none of them produce nuclear waste in any sort of long-term sense. There's occasional times when they will use um, radiation to treat cancer, but they're rare, and the sources are then stored, and it's a very small amount. The um, arguments that uh, using nuclear medicine is a reason for a dump is completely false. Less than 1% of... Um, the waste is, is for this dump is coming from use of nuclear medicines. So they say it's all about the production of isotopes. Okay, well, production of isotopes in Australia has been a policy choice. 
50% of isotopes, which are what we use, are produced by five sites all around the world. Most countries import their waste, import their isotopes. Most countries import their isotopes. So we've made a policy choice to have a reactor. And in fact, a decade ago, MAPWA, where I'm from, fought very hard to say, we don't need a reactor, let's just import the things because we don't want the reactor waste. But no, we had this imposed on us. And now, and to produce the isotopes at the moment, it takes less than one day a week for that reactor. But they keep saying, no, 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 it's all about medicine. It's not about the other things that they irradiate, the silicon chips and the other scientific stuff that they do. It's, it's all about health and medicine. Um, so the policy choice. We need to look at Canada. Canada, of those five, Canada's the big one. Canada produces over 30% of the world's isotopes. In 2009, Canada said, OK, producing the world's isotopes, when we, we get left with all the rubbish, we get left with all the waste from this production. So they did an inquiry to look into it. They found out not only was it leaving them with all the waste, it was also incredibly expensive, that when you added up all the different components it takes to do the manufacture, that they were only getting 10 to 15% back through the price of the isotopes. So this was very heavily subsidised by the Canadian taxpayers. In addition to that, um, it's unreliable. In 2009 and 2011, when the Canadian reactor broke down, there were major world shortages. And, in fact, the Australian whiz-bang, brand-new reactor, when it was supposed to be, was launched in 2007, but it had so many technical issues it took till 2009 before it actually produced something. So the big reactors, because they're so big, if you get a breakdown, it's a major problem. Um, and the fourth reason, so that the, the Canadians said we don't want this stuff anymore because it's leaving us the waste, it's expensive, it's unreliable. And also, um, if we continue to use all this money to subsidise the production, we're going to stop alternatives being developed. It's a bit like, you know, if you put out cheap coal, people aren't interested in developing solar and wind. So if you put out cheap isotopes, people are less interested in the alternatives. So. Canada decided that they were going to phase out. They're closing down their reactor in 2018. They've got 24 cyclotrons. Now, a cyclotron sounds scary, but it's about the size of a four-wheel drive car. Costs about two million bucks. Probably throw in another few hundred thousand to put some um, shielding around it to protect people from the radiation. But cyclotrons don't produce long-lived waste. Okay, that's the joy of a cyclotron. And the other thing, Canada's planning to have 24 of them. So if one breaks down, it's not a disaster. You get one from next door. One cyclotron will service about a city of about 4 million people. You probably need to have two or three in a city to just back up for redundancies. And this is the way of the future. In three to five years, Canada is saying we will no longer be using um, reactor isotopes. In three to five years, they're saying it's all going to be cyclotrons. This is world's best practice. So... What does Australia decide to do? Australia decides this is a market opportunity. So we're going to go, the ANSTO, with very little, not, well, not that I'm aware of any public consultation, is decided to go from 1% of the world's production of isotopes to 25 or 30% of the world's production of isotopes. And surprise, we're going to have a whole lot more nuclear waste in the future. We're going to be really taking on what Canada has already rejected as too expensive, too unreliable, too dirty. So Australia, ANSTO, and this, is, this process depressingly is underway. They're already spending money building a $170 million facility to go alongside the reactor to produce the substrates to go into the reactor. So this is really depressing. So when they're talking about a nuclear waste dump, we're not just talking about the waste 
that is uh, most of it, about half of it's, well, the big chunks are in currently of Australian waste uh, at Lucas Heights and in Woomera, some contaminated soil. Um, there are little pockets in all the hospitals, but that stuff's been in hospitals for decades. It's never caused anybody any problem. It's not a big deal, this hospital stuff, but the politicians would have you think that everybody, it's the end of the world that there's stuff in hospitals. It's been stored, safe, <coughs> stored safely for decades and can continue to be so. So, just to finish up, um, there is one small spark of hope in that the South Australian Royal Commission made one vaguely good decision and that it's decided to set up a research cyclotron in South Australia, which we asked them to do in our submission, so we're feeling a little bit... It's a little tiny win, but it means that Australia's actually going to start looking at cyclotrons. But we also need to look at what decisions we're making to produce this stuff in the, in the, in the meantime, because if we really ramp up our production, we're going to end up with a whole lot extra waste, and it's the intermediate level waste that comes from the, 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 the reactor waste. Running a reactor is what creates the intermediate level waste, which is the real sort of problem in this whole scenario. So as a community, we need to be saying to the politicians, it's not good enough that you're ramping up the waste. This is not acceptable. This is expensive, unreliable, too dirty. We need to have a conversation. Australia has a choice. Do we go down the path of really ramping up our nuclear waste, or do we go down the path of exploring the future, which can be a whole lot cleaner? Margie Beavis from the Medical Association for the Prevention of War. Dr Jim Green is the National Nuclear-Free Campaigner with Friends of the Earth. He situates the proposed dump in the broader context of radioactive racism. I think it's important to put this debate in some context. There's a long thread of racism to Australia's nuclear waste debates, and it goes back to 1998... Um, it goes back to 1998 when the Howard government announced that it was planning a, a national nuclear waste dump on Aboriginal land in South Australia. And uh, this was fiercely opposed by traditional owners, by Kukatha Native Title Group, and also by uh, the Cooper Pedi Kunga Judah, who were a senior Aboriginal Women's Council, and they took a leadership role in this debate. Many of those women, sadly many of them have passed, but many of those women were victims of the British bomb tests and... Uh, they didn't want a nuclear waste dump on their land, understandably. But despite that fierce opposition and despite the, the widespread support for the Kukupiti, Kunga, Judah and the Kukutha, the, the Howard government pressed ahead and in 2003 the government used the Land Acquisitions Act to seize land for a, for a nuclear waste dump and it extinguished native title rights with a stroke of a pen and it did that without any consultation or consent from traditional owners. Uh, the Kupapiti Kunga Judah continued to implore the federal government to get their ears out of their pockets, as they like to say, and to cut a long story short, after six long years and after being badly beaten up, the federal Howard government did indeed get their ears out of their pockets and they did abandon this plan for a nuclear waste dump in South Australia. And that followed a federal court ruling that the government had, had illegally used its, the urgency provisions of the Land Acquisitions Act. Anyway, that was a great victory, and the Kungas wrote in an open letter, people said that you can't win against the government, just a few women. We just kept talking and telling them to get their ears out of their pockets and listen. We never said we were going to give up. Government has big money to buy their way out, but we never gave up. And we hope that after that experience that the government might come up with something more enlightened, more sophisticated than imposing a new yeah. nuclear waste dump on Aboriginal land. And, and for a short time they did have the very enlightened policy of dumping nuclear waste on a Pacific island. 
That was the policy in the 2004 election, but uh, just a year later in 2005, the government announced that they were once again going to try to dump Australia's nuclear waste on Aboriginal land, this time in the, in the Northern Territory. And the Howard government passed legislation which overrode the Aboriginal Heritage Act. It undermined the Aboriginal Land Rights Act. It allowed the imposition of a nuclear waste dump with no Aboriginal consultation or consent. And Labor voted against that legislation to their, to their credit and various Labor politicians described the legislation as extreme, arrogant, draconian, sorry, sordid and profoundly shameful. Yet, when the Labor was in power, the, uh, the uh, Rudd-Gillard Labor government passed legislation which was very similar. It was almost dracon as draconian and it still permitted the imposition of a nuclear waste on dump with no Aboriginal consultation and no Aboriginal consent. And in February 2008, Kevin Rudd highlighted the life story of Lorna Fijo, a member of the Stolen Generation, in his National Apology to the, in Parliament House. But at the same time, the Rudd government was stealing her land for a national nuclear waste dump. And Lorna Fijo said, I'm very, very disappointed and downhearted about that legislation. I'm really sad. The thing is, when are we going to have a fair go? I've been stolen from my mother and now they're stealing my land off me. And again, to cut a long story short, the Muckety tradition owners fought incredibly hard and they, they attracted a lot of support from around the country and eventually they won that battle in, in mid-2014 and Lorna Fijo said, I feel ecstatic, I feel free because it was a long struggle to protect my land. And Marlene Bennett, another Muckety traditional owner said, today we'll go down in the history books of Indigenous Australia on par with the Wave Hill Walk-Off, Mabo and Blue Mud Bay. We've shown the Commonwealth that we will stand strong for this country. The Northern Land Council tried to divide and conquer us, but they did not succeed. So after the experience of the failed South Australian dump proposal, the failed Northern Territory dump proposal, we hoped that this government would come up with something more enlightened, something more sophisticated than trying to impose a nuclear waste dump on Aboriginal land. But as we know, uh, they're at it again, this time targeting Adnamutna traditional owners and targeting a, a spectacular part of the Flinders Ranges. Deeper questions about why successive federal governments have pushed a nuclear agenda need to be asked. Here's Jim Green again. Uh, we don't really need a reactor. We don't need it for medical isotope production. I mean, at the very least, we could be importing the isotopes or we could be more proactive about cyclotron production. It's also used for science, but uh, it's you know so far down the rung of research reactors around the world that it's not used for top-notch science. It's just replicating work that's done elsewhere. Uh, then you get into the murkier uh, world of what the government calls national interest and they say there's a national interest in having a, a, a cater of trained nuclear scientists who can uh, facilitate things like the US visits of nuclear warships or Australia's, uh, the, the US military and spy bases at Pine Gap and Northwest Cape and elsewhere. There's also a subtext there that Australia might one day want to have nuclear experts to, to either build nuclear weapons or to take Australia closer to the capacity to build nuclear weapons. And historically, as some of you may know, the one and only serious push for nuclear power in Australia was Jervis Bay uh, in, under the, 
uh, Prime Minister John Gorton and he later acknowledged that there was, a, there was a military weapons agenda driving that plan for a nuclear power plant at Jervis Bay. It would produce power and it would also produce plutonium which could be built, which could be used for nuclear weapons. So there's absolutely a subtext here and the government's not going to acknowledge what it is. The government at best will use this euphemism of, euphemism of national interest. But we can be clear that it's not needed for nuclear medicine, it's not needed for science, and that begs the question, what exactly is it needed for? You've been listening to Earth Matters, Australia's weekly environmental justice program for community radio. I'm Tisha Nahern. Thanks to our guests, and also to Friends of the Earth's Anti-Nuclear and Clean Energy Collective and the Australian Conservation Foundation, who jointly organised the forum that we've heard audio from today. If you missed any of today's show, you can find our podcasts at 3cr.org.au forward slash Earth Matters. Earth Matters is produced in the studios of 3CR in Melbourne on Wurundjeri country. You can contact us at earthmatters3cr at gmail.com or via Facebook. I hope you can tune in next week for more Earth Matters. You've been listening to a 3CR podcast produced in the studios of independent community radio station 3CR in Melbourne, Australia. For more information, go to allthews.3cr.org.au.